Pentecost. You know, if you if you uh, were able to listen to the sermon this morning, you know, we talked about Pentecost and in, in a special occasion, at least one of those times, if the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But, you know, for many of us, we probably don't really know all that much about Pentecost. We probably don't read too much about it or, or celebrate it in hardly any way at all in our, uh, you know, from year to year. Um, for example, did you know that traditionally speaking, the book of Ruth is read during the uh, celebration of Pentecost? Now, um, there are some reasons behind that, and I want us to kind of maybe take a look at some of the, the key features about the book of Ruth and, and maybe learn some additional lessons from it and some wonderful things that we can see from this short book in the Bible. Now, for starters, of course, the book of Ruth, everything centers around like agricultural things. And that's how it is with Pentecost, too. Pentecost is, is connected with, uh, you know, harvesting and things like that. So it's, it's all an ag agricultural connection. So, yes, it's got that connection. But I believe there's one uh, that is more. In fact, I, I believe there's several others uh, that are even more in, important and deeper meaning uh, than just their agricultural connection. So let's look at some of these things about the story of Ruth. And let's see what happened on that, uh, that famous day of Pentecost. First, let's look at Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, the first six verses kind of lay out this story of what's going to take place. This is how the story begins. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So this is how the story begins. It really begins on a, a very sad note with a lot of death and a lot of reasons for, for sorrow. And Naomi, what she does at this point is she turns to what family she does have, you know, these, these daughters-in-laws. And she asked them to return home uh, to, to their own home instead of returning with Naomi to the land of Israel. Um, 
And now you could kind of think about that, and Orpah and Ruth both had this option. Uh, were they going to follow Naomi into this really kind of unknown land to them, and one that's not really their home? Or were they going to go back to what they already know, back to their, their, um, their, their family, uh, back to their, their father's house, and, and try to maybe kind of restart, and, and hopefully things will go better in the future? They had this option. And, you know, we find out that Orpah, you know, one of them, of course, she chose to go back to her own household. She didn't go back with Naomi. But now Ruth chose something different. Ruth chose to be loyal to this family that she had married into. It seems like Ruth realized that there was something powerful about the God and about the way that they worshipped this God. And Ruth decided to be loyal to Naomi. And this is what we read, one of the most famous passages in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So, we see that, that Ruth made this, this wonderful statement, this wonderful loyalty that she has, that, that she's going to be faithful to this family. She's going to fully integrate into this family. Uh, the people of Naomi are going to become Ruth people. The God of Naomi is going to become the God of Ruth. There's something special about this family that Ruth has married into, and she realizes that, and she stays with this family. She has such loyalty to, to Naomi, and she is such, such a wonderful friend to her at this time. Well, Ruth's loyalty actually led them to meet Boaz. Now, Boaz is another character in the book of Ruth, and he is called a noble man. Uh, you know, he is one who, who is also loyal. And whenever we find out about uh, Boaz, you find out that when he understands this situation that they are in, you know, they, they are really in a, a, a very negative situation. You know, as I uh, looked at a while ago, what we find from the very beginning of the story is it starts off with suffering, starts off uh, with death, and it starts off with a lot of pain. And Boaz recognizes that pain, and he does something to help uh, uh, relieve a little bit of that pain and help them through that time. And this is what we find out about them, at least uh, if you fast forward to the end of the book. Now, by the way, I would recommend that uh, perhaps even after you watch this, this video, uh, that you just go through and you read the book of Ruth. I mean, it's four chapters long, and maybe you can also find more things than what I will point out here in this video. But for right now, let's take a look at Boaz, and let's see how he notices something special about Ruth. Even though Ruth isn't, well, she would be what we would consider an outsider. She's not part of Israel. She's a Moabite, but she's married in to this Israelite family. And Boaz notices the type of character that she has. He's also a man who is, have wonderful character in and of himself as well. This is how the book ends. In Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The, woman, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. 
The, one, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And yes, by the way, this is King David, the one that we know uh, so much about from the pages of the Old Testament, the one who was, who was so famous throughout the land of Israel. We find out that part of his genealogy includes this Ruth, this one who is a Moabite. She's a foreigner. But she was welcomed in as part of Israel. And the reason why she was welcomed in to the children of God is because she was willing to follow God. She was willing to obey him and to, to follow wherever he might lead her. Now, we see that, that from the line of Ruth, we see King David comes. But we also see another important character who came from this same line. In Matthew chapter 1, the way that Matthew starts off his gospel is this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you fast forward down to verses 5 and 6, you, you read part of these genealogies. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So you find out that part of the, the genealogy of Jesus included Boaz, it included Ruth, and of course includes King David as well. And if you skip on down, verse 16, of course, this is that genealogy. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So we see within the genealogy of Jesus himself, this wonderful outsider, this one who was loyal, the one who was loyal to the family that she married into, the one who was loyal to the God that she served. We find out some of these lessons from the book of Ruth. We see that Boaz was a wonderful man, one who was willing to, to listen to the cry of, of those who were outcasts, the ones who were kind of considered outsiders. For, for most of Israelites, at least, they would have considered her an outsider. But Boaz welcomed her in as part of this family of God. And there's this, this wonderful connection. And now I want us to see even more of a connection to the celebration that's found on that day of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. So keep these things about Ruth in mind as we turn to the pages of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, uh, just in case you, you missed some of these scriptures from this morning or, or if this is the, uh, the only video that perhaps you're, you're watching, I want us to, to read some of the same things that we looked at this morning. But I want us to focus on maybe a little different things than what we did. Verses 1 through 8 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How, uh, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? So on the day of Pentecost right here, the same day that traditionally speaking, the book of Ruth would have been read. This book where outsiders can be brought in, we find out here that on this day of Pentecost, yes, they're all Jewish people that are coming together for this Jewish festival. Makes sense. But we also find out that this group of Jewish people, these God-fearing Jews, verse 5, it tells us that these are God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
Now, you know, so many times what we focus on in this passage is we, we see this fire, we see the wind, we see the, the speaking in these tongues. But there's also another lesson. Let's make sure that we notice all the different countries that they come from right here. Every nation under heaven. And in case you want to see how, you know, they're able to hear this, this in their own native language and everything, um, there's a lot of nations that are listed right here. In the next few verses, what we read are, are where they came from. We read this list beginning in verse 9. We read Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And that's Acts 2, verses 9 through 12. They want to know, what does all of this mean? Because there's these different people from all these different nations, all these different people groups, really. And I, I understand that they're Jews. I do get that. And because of that, yes, they had something that unified them. But let's face it. Judaism that was practiced in different areas of the world might look a little different from the other countries. They have their own ways of, of celebrating things. They've got, they certainly have their own languages. And they want to know, how can they hear these people speaking their own native languages? What does all of this mean? See, the day of Pentecost, it was not only a time to speak. That's what the apostles were doing. Yeah, they were speaking in these unknown tongues. But... The day of Pentecost is not just a time to speak. It's also a time to listen. It's a time when the gospel message is proclaimed. That's why in verse 14, Peter steps up and he explains what this means. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So all these different people groups, so whatever barriers there might have been, language barriers there might have been, the Holy Spirit crosses over all of those barriers and he allows this communication to take place. He allows them to hear these words, this gospel proclaimed in their own languages, in their own native tongues. And it most certainly is all these different countries that have come together, all these different nations that have come together. See, the day of Pentecost, it's not just a time when speaking took place. It's a time when listening took place. And maybe these people haven't really sat down for a while and and listen to one another. They most certainly haven't heard the gospel message yet, and, and that's what Peter continues to go on and, and to explain. He explains the importance of what they are seeing right there and what they are witnessing. It's not just you know some random events that are taking place. It should be so much more meaningful. Just like the book of Ruth. You know, you could you could read that book and you say, Well, yeah, okay, that's a lot of events that took place. They're not just meaningless events that all took place. You see the hand of God working. Even though God is not mentioned much in the book of Ruth, what we see is God is working in the midst of his people in order to produce great things. And sometimes it looks very ordinary, like it does with Ruth. And sometimes it looks very extraordinary, like it does on this day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things, some wonderful things. But we see that the important thing was they paused and they listened to this message. And Peter goes on and, and he proclaims even more about what's taking place. It's not all random. It's really in fulfillment of what the prophets have spoken. In fact, in verses 16 through 21, Peter explains, he says, This 
is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this passage, what Peter is doing is he's explaining this is the fulfillment of that. They are witnessing the fulfillment of God pouring out his spirit on all people. Notice it's not just kind of of one nation or another nation. God's spirit crosses all of those borders. Yes, the book of Ruth, it was traditionally read at the day of Pentecost, and it probably would have been read in, on this day as well. And, you know, perhaps there are still some more lessons that we can learn from this short book. Can we at least learn as we look at Pentecost and, and see that story laid down with the story of, of the book of Ruth? Can we at least learn that our God, the Holy Spirit, he works throughout the borders uh, that are found on the earth? Whatever borders we might have, whatever uh, communities we might say, this is one community, this is another community, or this is one country and that's another country, our God works throughout those borders. And he crosses those borders quite frequently. Our God has an amazingly big plan. He always had, and he's always going to have this amazingly big plan. The question now comes to us, are we going to choose to be a part of that plan? Let's make sure that we join in with him. Right here at the end of this quotation, in verse 21, Peter is quoting Joel, and he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter goes on in this sermon, and he explains what it means to call on the name of the Lord and being saved. It means to turn away from your old life of sin, to follow Jesus Christ fully. Peter also says it means to be baptized like what Jesus was. We see following his example, uh, both in being baptized, but also after we come up out of that water, we need to continue to follow the example that Jesus has laid down for us. God has this plan. Let's make sure that we join in. Let's make sure that we follow this plan of God, uh, both that, that will produce salvation in your own life, but also in the lives of the people around us. If we will simply take these opportunities, and yes, this day of Pentecost was a time for speaking, it was also a time for listening. Both of those had to take place in order for these 3,000 people to be able to start the church on this day of Pentecost. God is, is still alive and he's still working in our world today. Let's make sure that we're working with him. Let's make sure that we're joining this plan with him. God loves me as I am and I love him. me as I am.
feel forsaken. Why such a death should die? God loves me as I am, and I love Him too. Pardon, then to God I must be true.